tonight, Isaiah chapter 23. Now, if God can put energy into preserving his ancient word, then we need to put energy into reading it. Even though there are sections that are more difficult than others for us, there are still uh, blessings within it. Setting things right, that's the title for this evening. I'd like to start off by saying that God judges the nations for the way they treat each other. Well, nations are made of people, so it always comes down to people. It's not the nations, it's the people in the nation. In Romans chapter 2, Paul was telling them that God knows how to deal with those who've never heard the gospel. He certainly knows how to deal with people who have heard the gospel, those who have rejected it. He says, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Well, God judges people by the way they treat him and other people. He really can't separate them. It's very perplexing when you come across someone who claims to be a Christian and they have all these gifts and they're the most loveless people you could find. That shouldn't be that way. Well, let's get to it because we got a lot. Verse 1 of Isaiah 23, the burden against Tyre. Well, you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste so that there is no house, no harbor from the land of Cyprus. It is revealed to them. Be still, verse 2, you inhabitants of the coastlands, you merchants of Sidon, whom those who cross the sea have filled. And, verse 3 now, and on great waters of grain, Shihor, the harvest of the river, is her revenue, and she is a marketplace for the nations. Well, a lot of places are mentioned here, Tyre, Tarshish, Sidon, Shihor, a lot of people lived in these places. This is about the people, just millions of souls that are being addressed in all that is being said by the prophet. Tyre, for centuries, was the maritime center of that ancient world, world the commerce. There is a website, What's Going On With Shipping, that I like. Well, it's actually a YouTube channel. And I like watching it because he gets into what's going on around the world with shipping, and it's just so much has to do with us. The prices we pay for things, the oil, the cargo, the politics involved, the war in the Ukraine, the black fleet that shouldn't be but is, and the breaking rules, so much. It's all commerce. And that's what's um, going on here. Tyre controlled the Mediterranean. That grain that, was, that grew in the, the delta in Egypt the, the Nile Delta, well, it found its way through the coastlands of the Mediterranean and then the trade routes throughout the world because of Tyre. These were the Phoeni uh, Phoenicians. Some of the Phoenicians were physicians. <laughs> Well-established seafaring traders. And uh, they became gibors, those of renown and power, but not to God, among men. They became a problem. And it will take centuries to completely take them out of the picture. And God is calling that through Isaiah. He's telling the people who will be uh, listening to his prophecies that, you know, that financial, that commerce center, that maritime center, is going to be judged. 
And it's not going to be judged in one generation. There are going to be many generations that will suffer this judgment. Because they know about me. And yet they choose their gods. And I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to set things right. And this will run down through chapter 21. It runs throughout the Bible, of course. And so what, as Tyre stood for in her time, as a commercial power, Babylon represented imperial power. Well, just because these kingdoms are gone, others have filled their spot, have taken their place. We still have commercial powers and imperial powers to this day on, on various scales. Now, Sidon also mentioned with Tyre, also a Phoenician city, was the older of the two cities, the older established city, both of them in modern-day Lebanon. And uh, that Israel's neighbors to the northwest. You can stand in Israel, you can look right over, and you can see Lebanon. And look to the right, and you see Syria. Uh, well, anyway, these, at, at this time, they became uh, popular targets of the prophets against the surrounding nations because of their wicked influence on the Jewish people, the prophets would take issue with them in the eyes of God. Well, that's what's happening here with Tyre. The Phoenicians greatly influenced Israel's idolatry, which explains why the prophets had such indignation and didn't forget them when it came time to talking about the foreign nations. So let me tell you about Tyre. You know that that that. Maritime center of commerce, of the world. Let me tell you what's going to happen to them, importing all these idols into our land. King Ahab, he is the one that had um, just so much wickedness in, in him. Uh, he married, he, he was a king in the northern kingdom when the monarchy divided Judah and Israel. He was a king in the north, and a very powerful one at that. And it was through him that Baal worship really flooded into the northern kingdom, which the prophets Amos and Hosea tried to combat through their prophecies and their, their preachings. Because they didn't just sit down and write prophecy. They preached also to the people. And we see a lot of that in the book of Ezekiel. They coming to the house of Ezekiel to hear him preach and play instruments, which, which he did do. Well, um, this Ahab, this rotten king, um, we read in 1 Kings 21, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of Yahweh because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. How many lessons are in that? How, many, how important women are seen in a verse like that, how much influence she had over this man and how much he allowed her to have. In, but this time, it's for wickedness. So this Ahab, he introduces Baal worship through her, through Jezebel, on a national level. 1 Kings chapter 16 documents this for us. She did her utmost to purge Yahweh from the north. And place this cruel and hideous man-made demonic God in place of Yahweh. Jezebel the most, was the most hated woman in the Old Testament. Herodias 
perhaps the most hated in the New Testament. Well, what did she do? Well, she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Now, John's disciples, they weren't Christians as we know Christians. They may have become, but they were still Old Testament believers. The hatred was fair game with them. They hate their enemies. And you know they didn't love her. When the story got out, she was the one that was behind the beheading of the beloved John the Baptizer. So that's some of what's going on here with Tyre, uh, their history in relation to Israel. Uh, Shihor, that's briefly mentioned in verse 3, uh, somewhere along the Nile, known for the grain that it produced, and of course the Phoenicians would, would transport it. What good is it if you have all of this grain sitting in silos and you, you can't distribute it? It will rot where it is. Well, this is the world commerce, and it worked. It fed a lot of people, a lot of pagan people at that. Verse 4. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the strength of the sea, saying, I do not labor, nor bring forth children, neither do I rear young men, nor bring up virgins. So the sea says, I, you're not my family. I, I, you're not, don't be acting like I, you, know, you come from me. I'm, I'm not your mother nature. Uh, so that's poetic language of Isaiah saying to the Phoenicians, Tyre and Sidonians, that... Um, yeah, don't, don't be too impressed with yourself. The earth is larger than you in spite of your success. Because when people are very successful, they start to feel like everything belongs to them. Uh, you, look, you, know, you look at these people running around trying to save the planet. Well, you better think about saving souls. You want, you're worried about the planet flooding because ice melting? Well, what about Noah? What do you think of Noah? He was talking about a flood coming too. His flood happened. Yours is not going to happen. Anyway, coming back to this, you know, how many Christian scientists, not the fake religion Christian scientists, but how many scientists are Christians that are working in Antarctica right now? And there's a lot of scientists there. And of course, they don't have any interest in God. They think they're quite successful with that, without him. After all, they can live in the harshest climate on earth without God. Yeah, you won't survive death with that attitude. Anyway, coming back to uh, verse 5 now, when, when the report reaches Egypt, they also will be in agony at the report of Tyre. Verse 6, cross over to Tarshish, well, you inhabitants of the coastlands. Verse 7, is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is from ancient days, whose feet carried her off to dwell? Well, there's a lot here. Uh, of course, the, the shipping industry of Tyre fed the Mediterranean. That's what he's, the Tarshish, we don't know exactly where it is, probably Spain, something, somewhere in North Africa. Far away is sufficient. We don't have to really know that. But her judgment will demonstrate the sovereignty of God over all the earth. The Jews were supposed to live like they knew that, and most of them did not. Isaiah, of course, is letting us know that he understands economics, the, the, the world system, not part of it, but he understands it. Where it mentions in verse 7, Tyre's feet, uh, those are her trading fleets, her many ships that belong to her. And the colonies, the Phoenicians set up colonies along the Mediterranean to establish trade. Um, Carthage was, was one of them, modern Tunisia. Uh, again, thinking themselves successful through Baal, or whatever god they worship, and who needs, who needs Yahweh? Look how well we are doing. It is a mistake of mankind. Um, 
Cain was doing pretty good with his farming. Killing his brother was secondary. Uh, that goes back to how we treat people. Anyway, the joyful citizens of this economic dynamo of those days uh, would, would fail. And I'll get into well, just a, a brief. Uh, first, the first, well, the Assyrians will begin to trouble the Tyre and Sidonian and, and cut back on their profits. Nebuchadnezzar will come a hundred years later, and he will take out uh, the land. Tyre had two parts. There was uh, on shore, on land, Tyre, the city, and then there was about a half a mile away out in the Mediterranean Sea was offshore Tyre. And when Nebuchadnezzar shows up to conquer onshore Tyre, uh, he does that. He Wipes out the city, you know, turns it into debris. But, he, but they fled to offshore Tyre and sort of said, nah, 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 you can't get us. And he couldn't. He was infuriated by that. Alexander the Great will come along and he will say, hey, let's take this rubble here and let's just build a, a causeway out to that offshore Tyre. And between that causeway and our fleet, fleets, We'll take them out. And that is exactly what happened. So that gets a little... And this is exactly to detail as Ezekiel the prophet in Ezekiel 26 lays out for us. Now, this took over 200 years. It happened in sessions. Tyre would rebuild itself each time. Now, it wouldn't be as great. Her glory would fade each time until the Saracens in the 4th century, in in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages... They come along and they really put the kibosh on it. Today in Lebanon, Tyre, the fourth big, largest city in, in Lebanon, but it is just a tour stop. Tourism is its income. There's still a lot of fishermen there, but most of them aren't doing well in the fishing industry. And so that's just an overview of what's happening. Isaiah called it. Ezekiel called it. We take it for granted. We look up, if you look up, you know, ancient Tyre and, and where it is today, you might miss the fact that the prophets called this, and there are more details, and I'll maybe hit on them too with the fishermen in their nets. Verse 8, who has taken his counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honorable, honorable men of the earth, the money makers, the power brokers, the gibors, like in Genesis 6. They, 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 in Genesis 6, they had too much power, and the result was this corruption and this violence on the earth that God put an end to. The honorable men of the earth, it says, they're not honorable men of heaven. Otherwise, they would not be coming under this judgment. So people were like, ooh, you know, these the, the Tyrrhenians are so great. You know, they've got all this money and they, they control the world and God is going, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to set this right. Judged because of how they treated people on earth so they could get their profits and their disregard for the true God of heaven. And it always comes to this. Uh, There would be people in that ancient world that would get word from these prophets and believe them. Otherwise, that's why we come across these proselytes in the New Testaments, these Gentiles who become Jews. So it wasn't like, you know, they, they weren't hearing these things. These things were published, word circulated, the caravans would take scriptures with the, if, they, if they could from time to time and sell them on the, on the open market, I mean, anything they could transport, and people would buy them. There were gigantic libraries 
in those days. So, you know, we don't think of the ancients as just people who, you know, uh, were, were so archaic. They, they, they didn't think. They thought very much. They built Babylon, was destroyed by the Assyrians, and then they built it into this wonder of the world. Afterwards, this went on all the time in various places. And to this day, builders are still putting just these incredible buildings, these bridges, all of footbridges, auto, bridges for trains and for cars. Incredible to, to us, wonders of the world. But it's not new. It's been happening. Anyway, just as Yahweh judged Egypt in chapter 19 and Babylon in chapter 14, he due to Tyre, verse 9, Yahweh of hosts has purposed it to bring to dishonor the pride and glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. Verse 10, overflow through your lake like a river, O daughter of Tarshish, there is no more strength. And so God's tolerance of their arrogance is running out. They're approaching the flashpoint. Uh, arrogance is something that such a big issue with God because it, it ends up treating, the maltreatment of others comes from this arrogance of an individual and those in power. We know that. We have powers today that do whatever they want to do. They jam things down your throat. Well, Obadiah, his entire prophecy is about Edom, who was just loaded with pride and arrogance. They lived out in the desert fortress and really had nothing to show. But that didn't stop them from being, you know, arrogant. And, and so the prophecy of Obadiah says, I'm going to set this right. And he, and he, he has. And that now is a tourist stop. Uh, anyway, uh, verse 10, the over, uh, overflow through your land like the river, O daughter of Tarshish, that there is no more strength. Uh, probably reaching, it will reach to the, to the colonies. Anarchy will break out there. Verse 11, he stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. Yahweh has given a commandment against Canaan to destroy its strongholds. Verse 12, and he said, you will rejoice no more, O you oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. There also you will have no rest. And so the Lord says, I'm on you now. I'm, I'm going to deal with you. There's no escape. Uh, those who have been influenced in the promised land by the Sidonians, as well as the Sidonians, they're going to be judged. And uh, as I mentioned, the Assyrians began this judgment that spanned centuries, uh, ultimately, into the Dark Ages, um, I mentioned Nebuchadnezzar starting it. Ezekiel 29 talks about the fishermen would be working on their nets, their fishing nets, on the debris from offshore tire, that causeway, or to offshore tire, that causeway, the debris that was, was put there by Alexander the Great. And it's still there to this day. It's, it's still part of the, the tourist, uh, a tourist stop. To see, look at that. You see those big blocks of stone? Alexander the Great put those there. So he could get out to tie offshore tire. But they'll leave out many times, unless they're, of course, Christian. Uh, they'll leave out that this is what Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before it took place. And uh, so uh, there we go. Uh, you, again, Ezekiel 26, 28. Amazing, literal accuracy for the fulfillment 
of what the prophets said. Verse 13, Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this people, which was not Assyria, founded it for wild beasts of the desert. They set up its towers, they raised up its palaces, and brought it to ruin. Of course, when they raised up, not they, they erected it, they tore it down. Um, they used these siege towers to overcome whatever fortifications the Babylonians had. This is before Nebuchadnezzar. And they tried to make it so it would never rebuild, but it did rebuild, and it ended up being built up so strong that uh, they conquered the Assyrians um, in time. And so he says, verse 14, Well, you ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. He says, Well, if, um, if the Babylonians could not resist the Assyrians, you will not be able to either. Verse 15, Now it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre will be forgotten seventy years according to the days of one king. At the end of seventy years it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Verse 16, Take a harp, go about the city, you've forgotten harlot. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. What do you make of that in your devotions? Uh, Chris and I were just talking about this before. Um, he came out. Uh, this is uh, a lot of work to get it, but the, 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 the key is in it. You've forgotten Harlot. That, that's the key. She's not what she used to be. She's got to use a song, an instrument, to, to just to get attention. And the prophet is saying, that's you, Tyre. You're going to be this, your glory is going to fade. And the time is going to come where you won't be able to drum up business. Um, and again, that, that has happened uh, to the city. Uh, the 70 years, a fixed period, um, well, that's about how long the Babylonians were in, in power under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, well, the, the kingdom he, he started, but that, that's about how long it was. So that, that fits uh, perfectly. This, uh, we have no reason to doubt the total accuracy of those numbers. We just don't have the fixed dates. They didn't write down, you know, the date from here to here. Uh, but we have enough historical information to understand, hey, that's not far-fetched at all. And by faith, we know it's accurate. Verse 17, and it shall be at the end of 70 years that the Lord will deal with Tyre. And, of course, we think of Israel had a similar judgment on her. Judah did. She will return to her hire and commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. And so I mentioned earlier that she didn't just go away. She would rebuild, but the glory would not be what it was each time. It was less and less and less until finally there's, it became an insignificant village. And, of course, the Lebanese have taken it and they have uh, built it up, but it, it's... I don't think any of you stayed awake at night figuring how you can go visit Tyre. Uh, anyway, verse 18. Well, yeah, I, mean, I guess you know, you might say, well, I'd like to see Rome. I'd like to see the Colosseum. I'd, I'd like to go to Turkey and see modern, you know, cities that were part of the seven churches. But, but you probably don't say, but I'd like to go to Tyre. Uh, but if you're, you know, the deeper students would want to go there and see those, that debris in, uh, there in the Mediterranean Sea. Anyway, verse 18, her her gain and her pay will be set apart for Yahweh. It will not be treasured nor laid up, for her gain will be for those who dwell before Yahweh and eat sufficiently and for fine clothing. 
Uh, this is messianic, and it is also part of the repatriation of Israel. Ezra 3.7 talks about the Jews uh, hiring the, the Sidonians and those from Tyre to, to bring materials in the building of Zerubbabel's temple, which would be the second, Solomon's temple having been destroyed, and Zerubbabel comes back uh, 70 years later, and uh, they begin building, rebuilding the temple, and it stops because of the protesters. Yeah, they had to deal with those two. And um, uh, something, I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, they, <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. I got it now. So anyway, the work stopped, but God raised up the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, and they excited the people to do what they were supposed to do through good preaching. Uh, how forceful are right words? So it says in Ecclesiastes, and the people rebuilt the second temple. Uh, now we come to Isaiah chapter 24, and passing from the judgment of these, this maritime pow- superpower of the day, Tyre, we now come to the judgments on the whole earth. And the prophet is, is again telling the Jewish people, our God runs the world. Why are you worshiping these local gods? Why are you worshiping this junk? And eventually he's going to use the language that is connected to the Tower of Babel in Genesis without coming out and saying it. But if you know your scripture, you'll, you'll pick it up. Um, not, if you don't, that doesn't mean you don't know the Bible. But you, you, if you're going to pick it up, if you pick it up, it's because you, you're familiar with what it says about the flood of Noah and the Tower of Babel. So I start off with Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Yahweh shall hold them in derision. And, uh, you know, people don't want to believe that. But eventually, some do. We call them converts. Uh, anyway, the judgments in this chapter will point to the great tri- tribulation period as described in Revelation 6 through 19. And uh, this, in fact, chapter 24 to 27 Isaiah, of Isaiah, some of the scholars call the um, Isaiah's apocalypse, uh, the, uh, the revelation of Isaiah concerning end times. It's showing the downfall of, of not only those on earth who are against God, but the, superpower, the spiritual powers also. And uh, let's look at verse 1 now. Isaiah 24, Behold, Yahweh makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. Well, there he introduces the, the, the judgment of God. This begins the sprawling global judgment that is coming. And it does sprawl. It does. The, the righteous will see it. For example... Uh, During the Great Tribulation period, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, they're going to see it. And they're going to be telling people about it. And some of those people that they tell will be tribulation converts. Others will be doomed because they will mock them and not believe them and run off and get the mark of the beast and it'll be too late for them. Uh, I will say that I believe there will be some that will get that mark uh, involuntarily, or quite possibly, uh, and not be held accountable. You would say, who? Well, there'll be people that maybe um, have handicaps, severe handicaps. And they'll be, you know, forced, well, we want to track them, we'll inject them with the chip, and, 
And, and God, God is wise enough to know that person didn't ask for that. It's the ones that with glee worshipped, worshipped the beast and, and his image. Though they will, that's the point of no return. So coming back to this, um, Revela- uh, Romans chapter 1. We know this verse. We try to tell it to unbelievers about those who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what Paul says. Now, you say, well, who does this today? Well, indigenous people are notorious for worshiping creatures. And not only here in America, but um, right now, you know, what's known as the American Indian, their culture, there's an element there that wants to preserve their cultural worship. And they'll worship the bear, and they'll worship the eagle, and whatever it is. This, this is creature worship. You're, you're, you're praying to something that was created by the creator. And that is idolatry. And that is sin. Now, you, if you tell them that, you better make sure you're led by the Spirit. <laughs> because they're not going to take it easily. And um, or Anyway, it is, is what it is. Uh, Verse uh, Isaiah 13, Behold, the day of Yahweh comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. And so the prophet is trying to tell people, God's not joking. He's just real what I'm telling you. And the devil will come along and say, come on, he's merciful. He's abundant in mercy. He'll twist the scriptures. And that's when you could say it is also written. That's what Jesus did to him. It is written also, Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger. Uh, Has not God, being God, the right to hold people accountable who thumb their nose at him? Revelation 16.1. And then if you say, boy, that's cruel, God sending people. God just supports their decision to not be around him. Don't go blaming God uh, for his, his judgment, Revelation 16, 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. All of Isaiah 11 is concerned with that too. And these are warnings. So no one will be able to say, well, huh, How was I supposed to know? Well, I sent the prophets to you. I sent the born-again Christians who you despised. I sent them to you. Verse 2, of Isaiah 24, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, so with the mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. Isaiah, we got it. We got it with the first two. <laughs> Verse 3, the typical preacher, and the land shall surely be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for Yahweh has spoken this word. I love the prophets who are like, God said it. <laughs> That's it. I'm moving on. They're trying to, I'm going to beg you to believe me. Let me show you all these you know, ways it could happen. Verse 4 of 24. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. Sincere, there it is. The prophet saying, I'm not letting these guys go because the Spirit of God is upon me and he's telling me that arrogant people will be dealt with. People who have a larger opinion of themselves, far larger, large enough to look down at everybody else. And this is what so much oppression comes from. Uh, 
you know, what do you think uh, Saddam Hussein had in mind when he had, you know, people of other tribes tortured? Uh, you know, what do you need to go into the details? Torture is torture. Horrific deaths, slow and painful, just because they weren't from his tribe. Keep them under control. What kind of arrogance is that? Instead of going and saying, hey, we want to build up our country and take care of our people, he's killing off people just as an example. So you can look at uh, Gaddafi, killed in the streets. What a shameful death for him. Beaten to death in the streets by his own people. How much arrogance did he have? Just Google a picture of him and you'll, you'll see it. Anyway, uh, neither rank nor wealth nor pedigree nor power will be able to deliver from God's judgment. Uh, the arrogant scientists, politicians, authors, preachers, whoever, uh, those and their truthless followers are served a, a warning. Uh, that's the mercy of God. Verse 5, the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Well, God is saying this is the problem. You, you break laws that are put in place to protect other people. Well, you don't care about other people. Uh, you know, you want to play your music as loud as you want. <laughs> I don't know why it's not legal to throw a hand grenade at somebody's boombox. But anyway, uh, they're going to bless you with it. <sighs> Where am I? It's not too bad here in the country, but it's here. In the cities, it's, it's, it's maddening. So... What covenant, the everlasting covenant, is he talking about? He's not talking to the Jews only. He's talking to mankind. Well, this covenant is, is the refusal to be in fellowship with God. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 9. And God included the nations when he said, I'm not going to flood the earth again and wipe it out with water. I'm going to give you a rainbow. Now, remember, when he said that, there were just eight people on earth, Noah and his family. And they represented all of humanity, and the covenant was with them. Uh, that covenant immediately followed God's repeated prohibition against bloodshed, improper bloodshed. Because there are times where, you know, the execution of, of, of people is part of civil law. But in Genesis 9, verses 4 through 6, God goes into, I don't want to see this bloodshed. It's people murdering people uh, for whatever reasons. And then he links that to, I'm promising you, I'm not going to flood the planet with water to wipe it out because of this corruption and violence. Remember, we talked about that Sunday from Genesis chapter 6. There were these power brokers on the earth. And they had so much power, the corruption was out of control, the violence was out of control, and God said, I'm not, if I let this continue, uh, it, it would just it'd be wipe out humanity, the self-destruct. And, um, and, and then it was repeated at the Tower of Babel. So the laws, the statutes, the covenant uh, are related to... Uh, the rainbow. It's not just, okay, God's not going to flood us. No, there's a little bit more to the story. God is saying, I don't want this violence. And I want to make an arrangement here. So, and, uh, of course, it's wasted on some, but not all. When you see people have a mock rainbow celebrating perversity, you understand how important the true one is. Satan can pick it out. 
Satan could identify Jesus in the synagogue. No one else for who he was. No one else did. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, if that was true, then why weren't all the Jews recognizing this? Satan knows what's going on. So when you see that fake rainbow missing a color because they can't get it right, it's a mockery in the face of God. And God says, when I made that covenant with humanity about not flooding them, it was based on morality. It was based on not shedding blood, doing violence, and going against my will. There's so much packed into that. What are you going to say? Okay, God said there's no bloodshed, but I can steal from you as long as I don't kill you. That would be irrational. It's connected. You, you cannot just chop it up and say, okay, I can kill, but I can't. I mean, I can't kill, but I can steal, or I can, I can burn down your business or something. No, you can't do violence. Uh, so anyway, that's the best I can do with verse 5 on what covenant is he talking about. That's the only covenant I know that concerns humanity. All the others were given, in the Old Testament that is, all the others are concerned with, with Israel. And uh, so now verse 6, Therefore the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned up, and few men are left. Now the great tribulation period. And here fire is, is mentioned uh, in this. Therefore the curse has devoured the earth. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Some The same idea that. The prophet was saying to Tyre, you're going to be judged and there'll be nothing left. And Peter continues, verse 12 of 2 Peter 3, looking for that hastening and coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So he presses that fervent heat part. And we come back to verse 6 of Isaiah. Therefore the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned up, and few men are left. Well, Jesus said, were those days not shortened, nobody would survive. The idea of man not surviving is in Scripture. The only thing that protects man from self-destruction is God. And, of course, man thinks he's cute. He knows nuclear weapons, which you've you, you got to have. Somebody's going to have them. If, if, that's good, if that's the case, then I want more than the other guy. But uh, yeah, a volcano puts out, can put out a lot more than, than a submarine. Um, the earth, the tsunami can, I mean, just, there are things in creation that can do a lot of damage without people helping it along. Uh, a virus can <laughs> do a lot of damage without people. So uh, these are out of our control. God's judgments, they will depopulate the earth. Few will be left. Left Matthew twenty four twenty two. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Because he doesn't want to wipe Israel off the map. Verse 7. And elect in Matthew 24, 22 is Israel. Whereas you get to it in other places, it's not, it's not necessary. The context will, will tell you. It could be just those who are saved. 
Verse 7, the new wine fails, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh, like I just did. I wasn't even intentional. I just did it. I must be a prophet. Anyway, coming back to this, the mirth and the tambourine ceases. Good, because tambourines can be annoying if the person doesn't know what they're doing. (laughs) The noise of the jubilant ends of joy and the harp ceases. A harp. No, you never even see anybody with a harp case. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you need a forklift or a dolly to bring that into, into the building. But it, it's incredible. You see somebody playing a harp. It's like, wow. Oh, anyway, it's kind of funny. Which would you rather? <laughs> play that with your child. Which would you rather? Somebody who could play the spoons or somebody who could play a harp? Somebody who could play a tambourine or somebody who could play a violin? It could be a lot of fun. Anyway, and insulting. could be insulting. Got to be careful. The, where are, were we? The new wine languishes, the jubilant ends, the harp ceases. Verse 9, they shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. Well, pause here for a minute. Remember, Isaiah, he was part of the upper crust of society. He was in and out of the palaces. He would have been very uh, 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 conscious of the elite uh, social gatherings, the partying, and all the wine, and the good foods on uh, the upper crust of society. And I think there's um, some, some jibes at that, uh, in that section. Not that there's anything wrong with enjoying nice things. Uh, certainly there's nothing wrong with that. But when you do it at the exclusion of what God wants, then it becomes a problem. And that's what he is, he is calling out, because God promised he'd bless his people with these things in the land of milk and honey. Uh, but uh, they just said, okay, I got the milk and honey. Now, uh, please, Lord, uh, beat it. Uh, that's what pretty much happened. Anyway, verse 11, there is a cry for a wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. Verse 12, in the city, desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. Verse 13, when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. Food will be scarce. That's what verse 13 is saying. The whole thing is uh, tribulation-centered. He's he's gone past just uh, Judah, and he's dealing with the earth, and he's saying uh, it's going to be great tribulation, such as the world has not seen. And so this is why... Some of the scholars call this the Apocalypse of Isaiah, or Isaiah's Apocalypse. Uh, It's like a a mini book of Revelation in in, in the sense of the tribulation that is coming. Um, The city that is mentioned here, it, it, it could refer to humanity, the world system, but more likely Babylon and, this, and all that that means, because we know it means more than just the ancient city, though the ancient city would never rise again, Jeremiah went out of his way to make that clear, and we'll come to that a little later on. Uh, let's move forward now to verse 14. Just remember, there's a lot more that can be said about all these verses. <laughs> you owe me. Verse 14, they shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord, 
they shall cry aloud from the sea. Okay, so now there's a shift here. The scene shifts. Well, let's finish verse 15. Therefore glorify Yahweh in the dawning light, the name of Yahweh God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. Looking at verse 15 first, the dawning of the light, well, that would be to the east. And the coastlands, the Mediterranean, that would be to the west. And so he's, you know, he's pretty clever, this, this Isaiah. And, and how he poetically covers the, the, the area that he, he's, he's addressing from east to west, you, you could say. And uh, the shift, it, it shifts, but the context tells us what, why it shifts and what it's about. And this re- repeated theme of, hey, God's going to make everything right. He's going to set it all right. Uh, also, the dawning, the east and the west, that's where the trade routes were. That's what he's addressing. The coastlands have to do with the trade routes, the shipping from Tyre, from all these products moving around the, the sea, and then they'd find their way onto the trade routes on land and, and go as far as, you know, the deserts of the, of the world. That world was connected uh, not as sophisticated as today, but it was still connected. Um, anyway, verse 16, from the ends of the earth, we have heard songs, glory to righteous, to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined, woe is to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Something's bothering the prophet. In the midst of all this rejoicing, he, he, he's, a, he's a killjoy. You could, you know, he, the proverbial killjoy. He brings us, uh, you know, because he sees the awful judgment. When these prophets, when God imparted predictive prophecy to them, they could feel it. It wasn't like they, you know, he just showed them a video and, oh, okay, I got it. It was imparted and it, they were so sure of it. The Lord spoke and this is the way it's going to be. But now the prophet says, but I am troubled because of the much evil that evil men have caused in being evil. He did not just see, oh, God judging the bad people. He saw all the horrors that humanity would have to go through because of these power brokers. Or they're the ones that ultimately bring it out. Somebody's going to be up there doing at the top of the pyramid, causing all the evil to take place. And, and he saw this, and so he mourns over all that is going to happen to his people and people, period, in this great tribulation period that is to come. His reaction to the immensity of the destruction, the treachery, the global judgment. And the next four verses, he brings it out. Verse 17, he says, Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. Verse 18, And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare, for the windows from on high are opened, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. Well, uh, well, verse 19, The earth is violently broken, the earth is split open, the earth is shaken exceedingly. And so there you have the language of the flood and the language of Babel. The windows opened, Genesis 7:11. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. The Hebrew is really not windows. It's just a, a portal. It could be like a... 
a, a chute and a hopper, anything that opens to let out the judgment. It's, it's the idea. And the pits are made into inescapable traps. Jeremiah uses the same language, inescapable judgment. Amos brings it up also. Job has it. But here's an interesting thing. In the Hebrew, the repetition of fear, the pit, and the snare all are alliterated in the Hebrew. They start out with the same letter in the Hebrew. And so, you know, there's just Isaiah. He's just a sound play in the alliteration. It would be like the trouble, the trap, the terror, you know, all beginning with the letter T and to, to make his point. Um, so you can't say, oh, these guys were just, you know, they ancient. They, what did they know? They were superstitious. They were poorly educated and exposed to life. You read the prophecy of Isaiah. This guy is exposed to botany and biology and geography, everything. He's a very intelligent man, and he's just laying it out. And he puts in a little, um, you know, alliteration as pa- pastors like to do, you know, five points and all of them begin with the same letter, so, but you can never remember it. That's why I don't like to do that. <laughs> what was that? What was the A for again? Let's see, the first was A uh, for Apple, and, and you can't remember it, and you missed the point. Anyway, verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day that Yahweh will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth, and, and this is global. Verse 22, they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. They will be shut up in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. And we read about this in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and in Revelation 6 through 19. Uh, God is going to set this right. Satan and his team will be judged the day of the Lord. Uh, he speaks that he speaks of includes um, the exalted ones in verse 21, where he says, will punish on high the host of exalted ones and on the earth. So that would include Satan and those who are under his influence. Revelation 12, Revelation 13, Revelation 16, Revelation 19, and Revelation 20 all uh, give us more detail concerning what Isaiah has packed into this, these two verses. So you have homework. You say, how do you know all these things? How do we know all these things? That's how we cross-reference. We find it so intricately tied together. You can't miss it. Verse 23. Then the moon will be disgraced. The sun will be ashamed. The sun is in the sky, not in the family. For, (laughs) phonetically, they're the same. For Yahweh of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. Well, we know this is... The, after the resurrection and the ascension, the second coming of Christ, uh, that, that, that is the time stamp for that. Now, chapter 25, we've got about f- five minutes left, if you can make it. I know you can, because if you don't, I'm going to tell God in my prayers. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> uh, now God's going to swallow up death. That's what Isaiah is going to talk about. See, he knew, he says, this can't stay. Life can't stay this way. <laughs> something's got to give. We just can't go this cycle forever. And that's what he's given us. Revelation twenty fourteen. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And good riddance. I, I wouldn't mind being assigned the lid closer. <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't qualify, but, you know, that, that one angel... That grabs Satan and chains him. Hey, I want to see that guy. 
I don't want to shake his hand because he might be a little, you know, excited. <laughs> be like Jitsu or something. Some of you don't know who Jitsu is. He'd be flipping people and say, so sorry, so sorry. And now, it's, now you can't say that because it's, you know, going to offend somebody. Why? The guy's throwing people around. What's offensive about that? <laughs> anyway, for you youngins, Google Jitsu. Um, anyway, <laughs> verse 1, Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Hmm, sounds like the New Testament. Um, this is Isaiah telling that God, even he's going to judge the world, and it's right. God does not have to say, oh, I'm so sorry i got to do this. He has to do it. He would have to apologize to the righteous for if he let these things continue endlessly. Verse, five, verse 2, For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Verse 3, Therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. Remember, Babylon will not be rebuilt, and that's in its absolute biblical context you know, spiritual Babylon, political Babylon, uh, occultic, all, all of it, that the economic, the rule of wicked people will be gone. That's the, the idea behind Babylon never being rebuilt when the time comes. Um, the great cities will offer no protection for people. An interesting thing, where's all the liberalism? Where does it thrive? Usually not in the heartland or... In the you know it's in the cities where they they just keep voting these monstrous numbskulls into power. I look at you know the fire trucks in New York, the American flag on it. These guys are going to go vote back into office. The very people who hate America, they're not making that connection. Not until they leave that city and come out of that fog. Because when you're living in a big city, you're just trying to get from point A to point B so you can get to the weekend. When you get out of that mess, you begin to to think a little bit about things on a different level. That's my experience and and my understanding. And as we all know, I'm right. Well, and and aren't you comforted by that? (laughs) Even if it's not true, you can lie about it. Well, anyway... um, pastor telling people to lie from the pulpit. What is that? That's that's the (laughs) anti-me. The prophet here, uh, he doesn't stipulate which Babylon, but Revelation 19.3, again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. They're talking about Babylon, that system, not not the ancient city alone. Jeremiah 51, 37, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment, and a hissing without an inhabitant. That's true of literal Babylon, but of, of spiritual Babylon is, is going to be even more so. Jeremiah 51, 61, and Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, Then you shall say, O Yahweh, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. He repeats it in verse 64. And so he tells, you go to Babylon, you see that great city, the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar? You tell those people 
it's all going to be gone and never rebuilt. You see how much they believed in the prophecies when God told them? How much more for when we read our New Testament, we walk away saying, Amen. This is fact. You don't have to accept it for me to accept it. I accept it because I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ because His Spirit dwells within me. Even with all my faults, God still says, I'm not going anywhere. It's pictured, it's pictured when, when Jesus did a miracle with the fish and, and Peter fell down at his feet and said, Depart from me for I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, in, a, in essence, I'm not going anywhere. I'm keeping you with me. Well, that's what Jesus does. When you sin, and you say, I'm no unworthy. I say, yeah, we know this. This is the problem, but I'm going to work with you. In fact, I'm going to live with you and keep my eye on you. No, he doesn't do that unless you're Roman Catholic, maybe, but you think of it that way. But God is not looking to bash us over the head. He's looking to make us like his son. Verse 4, um, for you have been the sh- a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the east, for the blast of the ter- from the ba- blast of the terrible ones, for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. So the Lord brings relief from the trouble, from the elements of the trouble. He lessens the blows of evil. Look at what it says. He strengthens the poor. But they're poor still. He strengthens the needy, but they're still under stress. They seek, a, they seek refuge, but they're still in the storm. They are shaded, but they're still hot. They're not as hot. This is, to me, down-to-earth prophecy. God's saying, Paul says it this way. In case you say, I don't like this. I, I want, you know. <laughs> anyway. 2 Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's pretty intense. Hard-pressed, you're being squashed. Perplexed. How many of you have been, what is God doing? Paul, at one point, said, I don't want to live anymore. As a Christian leader, he was saying this. We despaired even of life in Ephesus. So, this is down-to-earth. That's what I would expect from the God of truth. To tell me like it is. And, and not sugarcoat things. Because we know the outcome of that. I prefer it this way. This, this makes me stand up and say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. And then he goes on with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the conclusion. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, that means death is there. If he's casting a shadow, but God is with me. That's why Stephen, could he didn't see the stones coming. He saw God um, and, and in his spiritual sense. Okay, I've got to finish this up because we don't want the children's workers rioting. The blast of, of the terrible one that he mentions here, the blast of the Terrible ones is a storm against a wall, a gale trying to blow down your sh- your shield, your wall. Your that wall is shielding you from the storm, but it's being banged on. Matthew seven. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, 
and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. Man, you've got to love Scripture. Who could think to connect these things? Anyway, uh, verse 5. We're going to be close. I better hurry up. You will reduce the noise of the aliens as the heat in a dry place, as the heat in the shadow of a cloud, and the song of the terrible ones will be diminished. Verse 6. And in the mountain of Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of hosts will make for all the people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow and well-refined wines in the lees. I think I'm going to bring my own stuff to eat. <laughs> I don't want to eat any of that. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to say it out loud either. You kicked out. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, this is a feast, this is a celebration of plenty. That's what the feast in this context means. For the Jews, it meant the celebration of a day. It could involve mourning and fasting. But uh, this is the participation in the communion, the Lord's Supper. It anticipates the Christian feast. The leaves were the dregs, and the, and the, they've settled to the bottom as they turn the wine. Verse 7 and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and rebuke the rebuke of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Well, I've got mixed feelings up here to stop it, but we got four minutes. I won't want to go past 8.15. If you could hang in there, um, uh, that would be appreciated by our sponsor. Uh, here, he speaks of removing the curse that blinds and blankets the earth. It blinds the people under the blanket because the blanket is over them. And he's talking about that veil spread over all nations. It's global. Paul talks about the removal of death in 1 Corinthians 15. Revelation 24, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. How much is packed into that? When he says no more pain, how much is packed into that? You, you could never itemize that. It's going to be gone. Uh, you, you won't get to heaven and say, hey, remember that time you stole my shoes you, that stuff's not going to come up. Uh, you know, it's just not going to happen. How would that work? Could you imagine me in heaven? Oh, there's somebody who used to go to the church. How would that work? That wouldn't be right. And they get up in heaven, oh, there he is again. I, th I thought when I left the church, I wouldn't have to see him anymore. So that would be horrible. None of that stuff's going to be going on. Um, I don't know if I want to want to sit down and have some of the bone marrow that they were eating in the other verse together, but no, we will. Anyway, coming back to this out of time. For the Lamb, Revelation seven seventeen, who is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Yeah, man, that's going to happen to the tribulation saints, and it's going to happen to us. Verse 9, And it shall be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for we have waited for him. He will save us. This is Yahweh. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah, he's heated up now. He's not back there, you know, woe is me. He's got the vision. Uh, he probably wrote chapter 25 the next day. Uh, but anyway, 
to wait for God, we got to trust him no matter his methods. Verse 10, for on this mountain, the hand of Yahweh will rest and Moab shall be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for refuse, for the refuse he heap. Verse 11, and he will spread out his hands in the midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim and he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. Verse 12, the fortress on the high fort of your walls, he will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. So back to the arrogant, he's going to deal with them, those who have a form of godliness but deny the power as Moab represents. Uh, And Moab here, incidentally, not only represents those who almost come to salvation because God reached out to them, but also um, they, they represent all of those who just refuse to trust the Lord. A dishonorable ending. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, your people are patient through such a study because they love you. They know that uh, in the preaching of the word, you tend to speak to us. And for this, we are very grateful. May you get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.